0: Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cup Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. Very excited to be finishing up our preview episodes. We've gone through every position, we have saved starting pitcher for last. Pete would argue that's because it's the most important position. I'm not sure I agree. You excited to be talking pitching today, Pete? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to wrap up the position previews. I feel like it's the
1: end of an era, but it does feel like the season should be starting now that we're done with the season preview. So I guess it's a little bittersweet.
0: Yeah, I mean, it felt like we we timed this out so that with, you know, with the intro of our keeper leagues and stuff like that, our listener leagues, we were going to have this end and then have like a couple weeks to just sort of wrap stuff up and get ready for the start of the season, maybe talk draft strategies and stuff like that. And instead... Who knows? We have no idea what's coming. We don't, but they are meeting today. And we're, so
1: we're recording on Sunday, March. What is it? March sixth, March fifth, March sixth, March sixth. So yeah, uh, I think they're supposed to be meeting today, Chad. So we'll see. Apparently, fourteen team playoffs are back on the table. Yeah. What do you think about the fourteen team playoffs? I don't like it. I, I just I want to keep a one hundred sixty two game season. And it's it's weird that that hasn't even been, like, discussed. Like, I have not heard that discussed at all. It just seems like everybody's like, yeah, 162. But then what's the point of playing all those games
0: if we're going to let almost, literally, almost half of baseball make the playoffs? Yeah, I'm with you. And I think, you know, someone at uh oh, man, I know I need to find it. In the Auto News Slack, somebody posted some data, some researchers had done on how long a... Post season series needs to be to basically make sure you get the better team winning, and, and what they did is they took as a starting point that the the current in in current American sports, the league that has that the the better team is most likely to win a postseason series is the NBA, which makes sense if you look at the NBA NBA history, like how often does a one seed or the like truly the best team if it's not a one seed, it's someone who like half tank the regular season to rest for the playoffs and everybody always knew they were maybe the best. Um, You know, you go into the playoffs, a lot of times the NBA being like, yeah, these two teams are going to the finals. We just know it. So a seven game series, the better team is going to win. So the question was, how many games does a series need to go in another sport to get the same likelihood as the NBA already has of the better team winning? How How many game series do you think Major League Baseball would need to go to? You just Two teams head-to-head. You want to make sure the better team wins the series in a playoff. How long do you think that series needed to be? Well, I mean, I'm just going to take a guess and say
1: nine, because during the regular season, we roll out five starting pitchers, so you got to win five games to win
0: the series. It's not not even close. 75. Wow. Oh, my God. In a, in a best-of-75 you can be as confident that the better baseball team won as you can be that the better basketball team won in a best of seven. Now I didn't, I haven't, I haven't like vetted this research. I, you know, but that's what it came out as I I thought it would be like 15, maybe even 21. Like if you look at the season series in baseball, like between division teams, right? Like, you know, the Red Sox, your Red Sox and the Orioles play like 19 times a year, 20 times a year. And that is an extreme example of like one of the better teams in baseball against one of the worst teams in baseball. And it still feels like there's like a good 20%, 30% shot that the Orioles could, you know, sneak away with an 11 to 10 season series victory or something like that. Because the reality is like day to day, I don't know, like any, any game between any two major league teams, like we talk about in football all the time, like, Oh, on any given Sunday, blah, blah, blah. But like, It's not really true in football. It is true in baseball, right? Random Wednesday evening game between the worst team in baseball and the best team in baseball. There's at least a good, you know, 30, 40% shot that the worst team is going to win. So to me, and this is sort of getting back to what you were saying, like you play 162 games because if you want to know who the best teams in baseball are, it takes 162 games you can't find that out in an 80 game season or even 130 game season or something like that. And so to go through all that, just to like create this really random postseason where some like 81 and 81 team is going to ride a hot streak to a title. I don't know. Sits wrong with me.
1: A hundred percent.
0: And it's also
1: coming from this space where I think people think, well, if there's more playoff teams, then maybe teams will pay more for players because they actually have a chance, but it's the opposite. It's because the nature of the sport is the playoffs can be so fluky. That means that like teams, well, we can get by with like a 500 record, make the playoffs, get hot, and win. So why would I spend to
0: to increase my chances when my chances are already pretty good? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And and I think that's why you know in, in the latest negotiations, the players have talked about like a ghost win, right? Let the let the division winners start the series up one nothing. And I love that idea. Like that that to me is one of the few things that makes this palatable is the idea that like there needs to be some real incentive to win your division because if you know if you have a situation where seven teams in the league make the playoffs the one seed gets a buy great best record in the league you get a buy two has to play seven you know the third wild card three has to play the second wild card four has to play the first wild card whatever it is those two division winners the two seed and the three seed like they should have a huge advantage. They should have a big leg up. Make it matter. Make it hard for them to get upset. I was even suggesting at one point that like you could do something like do like pool play for the four wildcards, three division winners, and the four wildcards go to one of the cities. They play each other team you three days, three double headers. Like they're not the teams aren't playing double headers, but the the league does. Right, so wild card one plays two, three plays four. The next day, one plays three, two plays whatever. And whoever has the best record among those three games of those four teams gets to go to the division series and the other teams are done. Like compared to the wild cards. Now you get two extra games for each team. You get more teams involved. Like I get that, but now whichever team comes out of that has at least at some level earned it. They didn't just win one game. They had to win at least two and maybe three games to get through to that point. And they've now they've burned their three best starting pitchers like they're they're tired they're coming off a rut, like a really aggressive 3 days of games and have to dive into the series now you've given them a shot but you put them at a disadvantage I don't know, there's got to be something like that they can do yeah i mean even that though like i i don't want it to swing so far
1: in the other direction where it's pointless you know where it's like all right so such and such team with a payroll of 60 million dollars just somehow squeaked by three wins and now they're rolling out their fourth starter who they called up from triple a a month ago to take on garrett cole and at yankee stadium like i just now it's like well what are we even doing like i just don't want to expand the playoffs at all but if it has to happen yeah. then let's do 12 teams not 14 14 is ridiculous
0: yeah so yeah to me the fact that like they might roll out a fourth starter like that doesn't bother me. They should be at a disadvantage. They should have hard time. Like, if you want, if you don't want to be in that spot, win your division. No, no that, the that's logic, my take.
1: The logic, I'm with you 100%. It's just, I don't want it to go so far in the other direction that, like, it's like, what what are we even doing this for? You know, yeah. I mean, like, how many times is that team that's starting Nick Pavetta game one going to win that series? I, especially if it's against the number one seed. Like, they have a
0: chance still because it's fluky, right? But I don't know. I, don't that's, know. That's, that's I, I still. I go back to the, the 2016 they weren't the Guardians yet, but the 2016 Guardians team that made it to the World Series despite Danny Salazar, Carlos Carrasco, then in the playoffs, Trevor Bauer all getting hurt, all missing time.'re they're, they're like the, the deciding game of that series is like a of that the ALCS that year against Toronto is like a, a moment in, in Cleveland baseball folklore because Ryan Merritt was the starting pitcher for Cleveland and he like, there was a whole comment before the game of Jose Bautista, who, who, you know, loves to be the, the antagonist in this stuff, saying something about like, we're not exactly shaking in our boots over here. And someone in, someone in Cleveland bought Ryan Merritt, a pair of cowboy boots is like a, they should be shaking their boots. You got this kind of thing. And he went out and like pitched the game of his life. And, and he, he only went like five innings. Cause that was the point. Like, They went to Andrew Miller. They had Cody Allen. They had Brian Shaw. Like they were just shortening games and getting to that pen, but he gave them the five innings they needed. They won the game. Cleveland fans went out. Ryan Merritt was engaged at the time and some Cleveland fan found his wedding registry. And within like hours, Cleveland fans had bought literally everything on their wedding registry and been sending (laughs) him and his fiance gifts. Like it was, it was super cool, but like Those kinds of things can happen in baseball where some guy who has no, like he hasn't done anything else in his career. Like those things can happen. I don't know. I'd rather see that and rather see a team have to overcome that than see like, oh, you know, you're the, you're the 12 seed. And so, you know, you're a 12 seed who happens to have two really good starting pitchers. Enjoy the world series. Like that just, I don't know. I'm not a fan, but that is not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk starting pitching. We're here to talk not random starting pitchers called up from the minors to make playoff starts. We're here to talk about the best of the best, our top 20 starting pitchers for keeper leagues. So before we read the list, Pete, I'm sort of curious, how different does your list feel? like? So you and I are both in the middle of our TGFBI drafts right now. For those not familiar, TGFBI is the great fantasy baseball invitational it is a massive undertaking that that Justin Mason puts together that basically pits fantasy podcasters and writers from all across the the internets in a competition against each other we're all divided into 15 teams leagues but there's also an overall component to it super fun we're in the middle of these drafts right now those are obviously not keeper leagues how different is your ranking here from what you would have used for TGFBI
1: it's not too different with TGFBI obviously having an overall component and wins being kind of this overlooked category that's tough to predict, but certainly important, maybe I would bump up guys like Walker Bueller and Zach Wheeler a little bit and bump down guys like Sandy Alcantara, who, you know, no matter how many innings he pitches, doesn't seem to get any wins because he's on the Marlins. So maybe that category could make things switch a little bit. And I, It's worth pointing out again that these rankings that we do are for 5 by 5 so it's not that different, but because TGFBI has the overall component, and that's what I want to shoot for anyway, I could see wins kind of being a deciding factor. Otherwise, the one name I guess that sticks out is Max Scherzer for me would be certainly a lot higher on my list, like closer to number one, higher, lower, I don't know how to put it, but because it's for Keeper Leagues, he's 38 years old, I have him uh,
0: a lot lower than I think most people would. Yeah, I, I pushed – so I actually – I I literally took my TGFBI draft board basically and started with that as I was putting these rankings together and Scherzer was the name that just kept sliding down. I kept feeling like, like where does he – where do I feel comfortable with him? I know he's got that three-year deal. I know that he's going to pitch a little longer Vers- versus like Charlie Morton was in my top 20 for TGFBI. But he's not even on my honorable mention list here because, like, I honestly—I don't know if Charlie Morton comes out and gets hurt in April, he might retire on the spot. Like, I just don't know, and I actually think that's a as a as a credit to Charlie Morton. He doesn't seem to be like this. Isn't a this isn't a Brett Favre situation where he's just like wants seems to want the attention <laughs> and is drawing yeah. out his retirement and can't decide. Like Morton seems to literally on a day to day basis wake up and be like do I still feel like playing baseball? Yeah, I do. I'm going to go out there and play. And like, he's been very selective about playing for teams near his home. Like he's, he's, he has set himself up in a good spot, but I do think he's the kind of guy who like, at some point when it's just not fun for him anymore, he's just going to be done, which is fine as it should be. So
1: we have been hearing that since I think 2017. So, I mean, at this point he's already like, how old is Charlie Morton? He's got to be like 38. I'm guessing. Charlie Morton be is yeah he's 38 years old so like
0: oh. at this point it, it wouldn't be surprising at all yeah so with that I think we can dive in and read through these lists I will start with Pete's list from one to 20 Pete's number one starting pitcher is Corbin Burns number two is Garrett Cole number three is Jacob Degrom Brandon Woodruff is number four Shane Bieber number five Walker Bueller number six Zach Wheeler number seven. Sandy Alcantara, number eight, Lucas Giolito is nine, number 10 is Jack Flaherty, Aaron Nola is 11, Julio Urias, 12, Freddie Peralta, 13, Max Scherzer, 14, Chris Sale, 15, Shohei Otani, 16, Logan Webb, 17, 18 is Frankie Montas, 19 is Max Freed, and 20 is Shane Baz. My list, you'll hear a lot of similar names, and we'll go over some of the differences, I've got DeGrom, Burns, Cole, Bieber, Wheeler, Woodruff, Urias, Alcantara, Scherzer is nine on my list, a little higher for me, earlier, better, I don't know, again, it's, it's so hard <laughs> describing this, uh, Logan Webb at number 10, Bueller 11, Freddie Peralta is number 12, Aaronola 13, Robbie Ray 14, Chris Sale 15, Flaherty, 16. 17 is Shane McClanahan. Alec Manoa is number 18. Max Reed is 19. Trevor Rogers is 20. So, to start off here, I mean, some of the differences here like I've got Shane McClanahan. I've got Alec Manoa. You don't have either of those guys. I've got Trevor Rogers. You don't have him. Robbie Ray is on my list and not on your list. Guys you have that I don't have. You've got Otani, who I don't have. You've got Shane Boz, who I actually I put on my honorable mention list. There's got to be a couple others you have that I don't, right? Because I just listed a bunch of guys that, uh. but I don't know. Oh, Montas. You have Montas at 18. I have him also on my honorable mention list. You have Giolito up at nine. I don't have Giolito on my list at all. He is, on my, he is also on my honorable mentions. So there are some differences here. We will talk about those differences. But before we do that, I, I want to start near the top. I, I really, I really wrestled with number one. I went back and forth. I had Burns number one. I had Cole number one. I finally put Degrom there. And I, the reason I put Degrom there was was like, how can I not put? How is he not the best? But you put him number three, and there are there are reasons to do that. So, talk to me a little bit about your thought process on generally who you put number one, and also how why it's not Degrom.
1: Sure. So, I think a general philosophy on pitching keepers kind of to begin with, and and it helps fuel why I have DeGrom lower at, at number three, is that I, I want safety. DeGrom already being 33, turning 34 years old, he's got two years on Cole and many years on Corbin Burns. If we're talking long-term, particularly for pitchers, then I'd rather the younger guys. And additionally, I mean, I'm sorry, we have to acknowledge that there was a torn UCL that disappeared on the MRI somehow mysteriously with Jacob DeGrom last year. So if this was a ranking of who the most talented or best pitchers are in baseball, then Jacob DeGrom's number one, but with it being keeper leagues, especially five by five, where I think, you know, Burns and Milwaukee, that's an easy division to pitch in. I could see him racking up the wins. Obviously Garrett Cole can rack up the wins and he has 300 strikeout seasons in under his belt already. It's not like the two guys above him are like questionable. Those are also just like bona fide aces who we know we can lean on. If DeGrom, at some point this year, goes down for Tommy John surgery, well, now I've lost at least, what, half of this year, most likely, and then all of next season. I don't anticipate that issue with Burns or Cole, so I had them higher. It's
0: interesting. I mean, I feel like this is, with with hitters, you pushed upside more, right? You had had Torque high up on your list. You had Adley Rutschman high up on your list. But you, you did push, you pushed the prospects on those lists much more than I did. Here, neither of us have prospects, but it sounds a little bit like you're you're saying the opposite. Mm-hmm. You're saying like, no, I'm not going to push the prospects. I'm not going to push the young guys as much because I want to know what I'm getting from my pitchers.
1: Yeah. I mean, in any long-term setting, I, I'm building around bats. And I just like, if you're a pitcher and you're performing now, I'm going to take you. I mean, we've seen it. We see it with hitters all the time. Sure. I, like Eddie, We could always rattle off anecdotal evidence, but look at the last few years with like Forrest Whitley and Mackenzie Gore. I mean, in your long-term leagues, you could have gotten absolute hauls for those players. And like a lot of pitchers do, it was some combination of injury or just losing it. And now, you know, you're you're left with nothing. You're left with arguably a droppable player. And that's not to say that those two players or any other anecdotal piece of evidence that we bring up can't bounce back and still be really good. But pitching is so unpredictable that I want the closest to sure thing that I can get. And if I also have to factor in age, then I'll do that. But that doesn't mean I'm going to plummet all the way to prospects.
0: Yeah, and one of the things I one of the things I struggle with in in keeper leagues, it's a little less of a problem in dynasty, but certainly like in auto news, certainly in any keeper league I'm in, is I I don't like paying for pitching. Like anyone who listens to the show knows that I'm not. I mean, I, I was commenting in my in my TGFBI draft, I did not take a pitcher until the sixth round. Where I took Jack, Jack Flaherty, I was the last team in my league to take a pitcher. There were multiple teams in my league with like three or even four pitchers by the time I took my first one. Then I lived in the middle because by the 16th round, 10 rounds later, I had the most pitchers in the league. So one of the things I struggle with a little bit in making this list, and I think it has to do with with sort of how I value pitching and and how I think about sort of the top of this list is I, I don't, I don't want to spend on pitching and I don't want to spend on pitching keepers. Like even in my keepers and like in my auto new leagues in general, I'm looking for like guys I got for less than $10 who I think might be worth 25. And that's who I want to keep. And so I struggle with this because it's like, I'm debating, you know, from five to 10, I'm looking at like Wheeler, Woodruff, Urias, Alcantara, Scherzer, Webb. Like, I don't know. I'm not paying, I'm not paying that price for any of them really. I don't think because someone else is going to pay for them earlier than me. What I want to do is get guys lower down who I can, like I want to get guys who I don't have to make a keeper decision about. It's going to be obvious. Right. And so, you know, if you look at your, you had some like late ADP guys that you were interested in, you mentioned Tanner Hauck, Josiah, I assume it's Jay Gray as Josiah Gray. Yeah. Not John Gray. uh, Tony Gonsolin. Around the same range, I'm looking at like Waska, Yanoa, uh, Drew Rasmussen, Aaron Ashby. Like I like those guys because if Ashby is what I think he could be, if Hauk is what you've been telling us he is, if Josiah Gray breaks out, like you're going to keep those guys. It's going to be an easy choice because you aren't going to you won't you wouldn't even have to at the end of a good season for one of those guys at the price you're going to pay for them in a draft say. Do I believe in this? Do I think he's worth that value? Could I get a better like? You're gonna be like, no, for like a 20th round pick or whatever it costs me to keep him. I'm keeping him. That's easy. Even with a guy like, you know, I'm trying to look at someone who's early on both of our lists. Like you've got Walker Bueller at six. I've got him at 11. I'm a little lower on Bueller than than you are. But like, Walker Bueller had a very good year last year. There are concerns in his profile, and he has been falling down some draft boards because of those concerns in his profile. And so, like, if I look at Bueller, you know, I see a guy who last year had a 247 BAPIT. He had a 198 BAPIP in the shortened 2020 season. And so, yeah, he has been brilliant. He's had a 2.62 ERA over the last two years and 244 innings. He's had a little under nine and a half strikeouts per nine. But he doesn't really manage contact particularly well. He gives up a decent amount of hard contact. His, his expected ERA, his FIP, his XFIP, like all those stats are significantly higher than that 2.47 ERA he posted. They're not bad. They don't suggest he's going to have like a ERA of four or something like that. But he is absolutely the kind of guy who you could draft as a top five to 10 starting pitcher he could put up top 5 to 10 starting pitcher value and be a super difficult choice as a keeper next year of like do i really want to keep him should i trade him and cash out now because i'm just i'm not convinced he is going to maintain what he's been doing and so like what happens if everything sort of falls off a little bit for him he still looks pretty good he's not as good as he has been the last couple of years he still looks like he was a little lucky like it just it's a much tougher choice for me. Whereas, like, if if Ashby or Rasmussen or Gonsolin or Hauk or one of those guys we're talking about as a late option pitch as well, you keep them. The cost is right, you keep them, and you might be keeping them thinking like, you know, yeah, they could be a third round value, but they don't have to be because I'm paying a 15th round pick for them. So if they're a 10th round value, great. So that I really struggle with the top of this list because of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think both are kind of. I guess mindsets there are, are definitely compatible, right? Where i i'm not I'm not going to pay up for starting pitching like I did last year. I think last year we saw that there that there's a deep starting pitching pool, and the shift in baseballs, and once everybody really adjusted to the the lack of foreign substances, and those might even be coming back, which might deepen the the starting pitching pool that much more. Like I'm not likely to pay up, but if we're going to talk about who I would pay for, then I do want the more reliable performers. I think I think as a kind of and aside, I think Bueller, I could depend on him maybe a little bit more than than uh, you might think you can. I just, he's he's continued to outperform his peripherals. He pitches in a great park on a great team and, and he does something we have to give him credit for as he goes deep into games. But even like that aside, I'm much more likely to adopt the strategy that you just discussed in, in taking the gamble on the Rasmussens and the Hawks of the world, especially in deeper leagues. So in your deeper keeper leagues, like if we, my strategy in our listener ought new league, I did not spend more than $20 on a single pitcher. I got Giolito and Flaherty up top to provide some sort of like floor for my team. Um, And then I took a bunch of shots on guys that I like for bounce back seasons or for just emergencies. Hauk, Ian Anderson, Hyunjin Ryu, Tony Gonsolin, Tristan McKenzie, Josiah Gray, Tariq Skubal, Bailey Ober, Mike Soroka, Dakota Hudson. I mean, that's literally the rest of my rotation after those guys. And I feel fine with that. With that said, those of our listeners, that are in those shallower keeper leagues. Yeah, for me in a shallow league, if we're talking 10 to 12 and it new is, you know, our Aught new league is 12 teams, but it's obviously much deeper than your average 12 team league. I want the more high end talent. So I'm going to be more likely to give up an early round pick to keep a Walker Buehler, to keep a Zach Wheeler, particularly if I look around the league and it looks like, uh Oh, everybody seems to be keeping a starting pitcher. So if I don't, I could really be behind so that's where those more reliable guys that you can lean on can, can at least give you the 180 innings and the 200 strikeouts. It, that's rare, I, I, the way I just said it, it, makes it sound like there's a lot of them. That's rare if I can guarantee myself one of them in a thin pool,
0: I want to do that. Yeah, I so, see for me when I'm when I'm drafting, when I'm thinking about pitchers, I, what I want to do is I want to I want to keep the upside. I want to keep the cheap guys that I'm that I believe in that I think are going that I, you know, looking at your like looking at your roster that you just talked about for that outer new league, like if I'm you, what I'm thinking about for next year is like it's not about Giolito and Flaherty for me. It's about like how breaking out, Anderson having a great year, Gonsolin establishing himself, like Ryu reestablishing himself, maybe one of McKenzie's ball or Javier, you know, finally putting it all together. Like some like those guys proving that they're keepers, so that then I can I can get rid of giolito and flaherty either trade them or cut them or whatever it is and come back in the auction next year and feel like all right i have a solid like i have five solid starting pitchers that i'm real happy with i need a sixth, that i want and, and i'm going to pay for one and then yeah in the draft i'm with you the, the guy i'm going to pay for in the draft that i'm going to put the big money behind is not the guy that i'm like i don't know, like a few like the year, like going to the 2020 season, I ended up with very little Shane Bieber, even though I was high on him, because everybody was paying for him like he was an established ace, and I wasn't sure he was yet. And like I would rather find somebody else who might break out and be a keeper at 10 bucks in an auto new league instead of paying 30 for a guy who I don't. Know, I'm less I'm less confident in. So or I'm, I shouldn't say that not that I'm less confident. I'm more confident in the guy at 30, but I'm less interested in them as a keeper. I'm less confident in their long-term value because their price is so high. So what I really want to do is I want to build a cheap rotation, keep the guys who break out from that cheap rotation, and then supplement it by paying higher prices in the draft the next year, especially in auctions. That's a a pretty common strategy for me. So that that is why I think for me, I just struggled with this list, but I did push up some upside plays because like I, I want to draft guys like McClanahan, Manoa, Rogers, you know, Boz is 20th on your list. And, and first among my honorable mentions, like I want to draft those guys this year at reasonable prices. Cause they are still, they still can't, I should say, these guys are getting pushed up in drafts. However, you can probably get at least one of them at a reasonable price in a draft this year. And I would rather get one of those guys at that reasonable price and feel really good about keeping them than I do. Want, than Then I want to push up a guy like a guy like Bueller who's young, or a guy like Webb who's young. Like I don't want to push those, or Alcantara for that matter. Like I don't want to push those guys up and be like, oh, like Alcantara is so young and so good that I'm taking him before Garrett Cole because of his like long term value, whereas Cole's on the wrong side of thirty and blah 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 blah. Like I just don't feel that way at the top end of the starting pitching. So yeah,
1: I think it, it comes down to right, like we don't want our we don't want to build around particularly long term pitching in general because of how volatile it is. So I took these rankings as like, like would I rather have Shane Baz Baz in the tenth round or Corbin Burns in the first? I'd rather have Baz in the tenth round, but in a vacuum, if I am choosing between Burns and Baz, obviously I am going to take Burns. And so I mean, it, it's kind of the trouble we've had with keeper rankings throughout, right? Where cost matters. So a definitive ranking is is difficult. So I definitely agree with you that I'd rather wait and take those later shots. But if we're just going to rank these guys in a vacuum, that's kind of my approach where this is my ranking. If we were starting a keeper league from scratch, this is what I would do. But if I do have that first round Garrett Cole versus that 20th round Shane Boz, because that's probably more likely where you got him last year, I'm definitely considering Boz so that I can build around other parts of my team. And I'm with you 100% on that.
0: Yeah, it makes me think that we should, given our extended off season here. We should maybe do an episode where we look at ADP again. I think we've looked at it in the past, but we should probably go back and look at that and th- start thinking about like some sort of a, almost like a, a top 10 values at different positions rather than just a top 10. Cause you're right. I mean, th- th- this is a, for, for a keeper league, it is almost a better question. Would you rather have Shane Boz at his price or Corbin Burns at his price than it is? Would you rather have Burns than Boz? Cause Nobody like if anybody tells you they'd rather have Shane Boz than Corbin Burns, um, they either know something we don't, if I know what their values are gonna be or what I or I have a sense of what their costs are gonna be, like for a much lower cost, I may prefer Boz. I think that's absolutely right. So it's a tough call with that. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and discuss a few more names on these lists. So welcome back. We we talked a little bit about Jacob Degrom. We talked about sort of strategy. I want to talk about Max Scherzer because I think this is an interesting one from a strategy standpoint because Scherzer is, I mean, look, let's be honest, Scherzer is awesome, and he's he's been awesome for a long time. He had a bit of a, I mean, I guess you would call it a down year. I guess you have to call it a down year in the shortened 2020 at a 3.74 ERA, a 3.46 FIP. His FIP hasn't been over 3.27. Other than that 3.46 in 2020, it hasn't been over 3.27 since, 20, since 2011. In 2012, it was 3.27. It has been below three almost every year since then. The guy is just an absolute monster. He throws a lot of innings. He throws them really well he is also 37 years old. He'll be 38 right around the all-star break. At some point, like his velocity has been down the last, like it's gone down each of the last three years. It is still above where it was at points earlier in his career. So we're not at a like clear decline phase yet. It's it, But you know it's coming, right? At his age, you know that decline is coming. And so a guy who... Like if I look at, let me see if I can pull this up real quick. If I look at the rankings from the the two starting pitcher evaluators I look at most closely for rankings are uh, our very own Nick Pollock and Eno Saris. Nick has Scherzer as his number six starting pitcher. Eno has him as number five for this year. I think it's sort of hard to argue that he doesn't belong certainly in those groups, You've got him down at 14. I've got him down at 9. We both pushed him down given the conversation we just had about strategy about wanting safety in your your high end starting pitching. Should we have should we maybe not have pushed him down so far? Should he still be closer to that top 5?
1: No, I don't think so. It's actually almost the opposite if we're using the word safety. Let's look at Max Scherzer's last 3 seasons. He brought up the down 2020, which like I mean First of all, obviously sample size, but he still had like 92 strikeouts in 67 innings. He was still really good. I'm not going to take that away from him. But 2019, think about the competitor that Max Scherzer is. So the year before the down 2020, how does that season end? Well, he has to get scratched from a World Series start. I think it was a neck issue. Then he has the down 2020. And then in 2021, where he was once again, he was great. It was bounced back. It was like, oh, great. Max Scherzer's back. He's complaining of a dead arm in the playoffs and gets scratched from a start in the NLCS. I don't know if he was scratched or taken out early. I can't remember. That's so concerning to me for a 38 year old starting pitcher. Like the slider's as good as ever. Max Scherzer's awesome. I, I have no question that if he's on the field, he's going to be great. But if we're talking long term, what are we going to get? Another year and a half out of Max Scherzer, like a, of elite production? And I, I get it's it's hard to predict that, and we've seen people try to do that with players like Scherzer in the past. Who they just continue to defy time and they just continue to perform, and you end up missing out unelite an production and I think that might happen to a lot of people this year with Justin Verlander but I just if we're going to talk leagues, how could I possibly rationalize taking Max Scherzer over like Logan Webb and I did uh, in these rankings I took Scherzer over Webb but like Webb's a guy who's on the rise he's 25 years old generates a ton of ground balls we saw the swing and miss in his game develop I, I'm that's a that's a decision I have to make That's not easy in a keeper league. So when I look at the 13 names I have above Scherzer on that list, they were almost no brainers. And so I got to the point where it was like Chris Sale, who kind of fits the same bill. He's significantly younger than Scherzer, but he's coming off of Tommy John surgery. And it was really touch and go. The velocity didn't quite come back last year. And most concerningly, the slider didn't look that great last year. So I was like, okay, I can't put sale over Scherzer because now I'm becoming hypocritical. But 14 was the best I could do on this list. And honestly, I, I have my concerns. If I have Scherzer in a keeper
0: league, I'm kind of selling high right now. Find the Mets fan in your league. So it's interesting. I mean, I I, I definitely hear what you're saying. I get the concerns. The concerns are real. I, I am a little bit lower on Scherzer this year than I think most are. So like where I have him as ninth on this list isn't super far off from where I have him just for redraft. And I didn't really push him down, but it's because of the conversation we're having before that like when I'm drafting at the top end of pitchers, like I'm not paying the keeper price for like, I'm probably not paying the keeper price for Logan Webb or like look at the guys you have above him, right? You have Freddie Peralta 13th. You've got Urias 12th, Nola 11th, Flaherty 10th, Giolito 9th. Like if I pay that price for one of those guys, I'm not going to keep him anyways. I'm not going to pay that keeper price for those guys. I mean, it's possible, right? Like, Freddie Peralta goes out and throws out 200 innings like that look like the first half of his 2021. As the 13th pitcher off the board, all of a sudden he looks like the number one guy in baseball. Fine. I'll keep him at that price. But realistically, what I expect from them, I'm not keeping them anyways. And so what they're going to do in 2023 just doesn't matter a lot to me. Whereas it does, as you get way down the list, like you get down to our, the guys around 20 for us, Manoa, Rogers, I got McLennan at 16. You've got Shane Boz at 20. Certainly our honorable mention. Then you start to get to a spot where it's like, I think they could break out and look like a top 10 pitcher. And then I would pay that price to keep them. I'm just not going to for those top few guys anyways. And so because I'm not going to pay that price, then I'm only really worried about this year. Then I'm just worried about what I'm going to get this year. And I have pushed Scherzer down, like I said. Eno's got him fifth. Nick has him sixth. I have him right around nine or 10. The reason I pushed him down is because of all the stuff you talked about. And because I think there is some risk that he doesn't give us 180 to 200 innings we bank on from him because he's just such a, like such a competitor. But I'm also like, I'm just not worried about what he does in the future. It's just not what it's not where my mindset is in those top 10 guys. And so to me, he still falls into that group. If I'm drafting him there, I'm drafting him there to get six months out of him, and this is what I expect to get in six months. And But I get it. I, I totally understand. Like, I, I at one point had him around 18 or 19 on my list before I sort of rethought things and thought, no, I, I'm going to take what he gives me this year. And I'm like – and it was because I looked at the guys I had above him. Like, at that point, I had Logan Webb at nine, and it was like, if I draft Logan Webb at ninth, what are the chances I keep him? And I was like, almost zero. Because at best he's going to be fair value. It's just unlikely that he's going to be some sort of special value there. You know, pushed Bueller up to tenth. Meh. Freddie Peralta up to eleventh. Like I started to hit a point where like there's no, there's no, there's no upside in there. I'm paying price for those guys anyway. So what's the difference? And so Scherzer stayed up there for me.
1: So it sounds like like a pretty heavy, just kind of like redraft mindset, which. I honestly I'm I'm really not that opposed to I think I'm more likely to keep a pitcher for a for a next season than you are obviously um if I really hit on a guy who I think is a horse like I I'd have a hard time if I got Zach Wheeler in the I don't know where he was going last year like the seventh eighth round you know that's kind of high there's no question I'm keeping him I think I could see somebody you know if Jacob deGrom if you get him somehow in the early third round this year and he performs like Jacob deGrom then I think he's also kind of like a slam dunk keeper I'm not completely opposed to it I was kind of taking into consideration more like, you know, I, I'm, 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 I guess I'm keeping it somewhat consistent with previous rankings where I'm looking not just this year but the next three. But I think Chad's making a good point here where if you're keeping or if you're looking at your players as like, you know, pitching is volatile and I only have so many keeper spots to give and there's a price attached, then I'm much, 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 much more likely to spend my important draft capital, what I have to give up to key players on players who are more likely to repeat their performance and pitchers just aren't that likely to as likely to do it as your elite hitters are. So I totally get the redraft mindset for drafting pitchers and keeper leagues.
0: Yeah. And it, again, for me, it's that top somewhere between the top 10 and 15. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at that. There's a, a sheet that shows the TG FBI ADP since we talked to the league before and in terms of ADP, there are fifteen starting pitchers who went in the top sixty of ADP for TGFBI. Those fifteen, and so for me, what that comes down to is in a in a fifteen teamer, that's four rounds, and a twelve teamer, that's five rounds. Those guys going in those first four to five round prices are almost never keepers for me. Now, it, right, it is possible, right? Somebody in the that I get in the fourth or fifth round establishes himself as a top two or three arm in all of baseball, fine, I'll keep them. But I'm not thinking about them that way. I'm not expecting that. I'm thinking, oh, they were a fourth rounder. Maybe they're a second rounder. Maybe they're a third rounder. There's just not a lot of value there. So I'm not thinking about them as keepers at all. Once you get outside of that group. And so like, if you look at my, I don't know, if you go down through the top 15 on my list, I didn't really move anyone up because of their long-term value. Really my top 16, because Flaherty's there for now. Then all of a sudden, starting at 17, I've got McClanahan, Manoa, Max Freed, who's less of a long-term play, and Trevor Rogers as my 17 through 20. Because those are guys who I think I will be able to get outside those top five, six rounds. And in the seventh round, do I think Alec Manoa, Shane McClanahan, or Trevor Rogers in the seventh or eighth round could become a keeper? Yeah, for sure. Because they could be third or fourth round picks for me next year. Do I think that Freddie Peralta in the third or fourth round can become a keeper for me? Probably not. And so that's where, as I move down the list outside that top 14, 15, 16, outside that group is where I start to think like, okay, now I'm going to push future value a little bit. And then it is, it still is, I want established guys, right? I'm not putting Grayson Rodriguez on here. Um, There are interesting prospects like Edward Cabrera, who will probably pitch most of the season, Nick Lodolo, who may be up soon. Like there are guys that are interesting. They're not touching my top 20 because I'm not taking a guy in my top 20 starting pitchers who hasn't done it. But in that back half, back quarter really of the top twenty is where I start to think, okay, now I could take Giolito, I could take Gaussman, I could take a guy like Snell, who's also my honorable mention, but like McClanahan, Manoa, and Rogers have more future value to me. I believe in their long term upside. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna gamble on that a little bit more because I think they could be keepers for me. So well, I was just gonna say, like in that range, like I'm actually even okay with your
1: Joe Musgroves and Frankie Montazes who are a little bit older, who maybe don't have that same, you know, three to five year outlook as a guy like Shane McClanahan. Just because if I'm keeping pitchers, I'm probably turning them over pretty quickly anyway. So do I think Musgrove or, you know, a name that you had way down there, obviously, and I have much higher Giolito, if I got them in that range. I think they could still give me another, you know, one to three years of of excellence and still be a bargain at that cost. So I hear what you're saying with bumping up the young guys in that range. But am I going to keep Shane McClanahan for the next four years if his value and cost to keep continues to go up? And is that going to be enough for me to reach for him over a guy like Joe Musgrove, who's definitely a lot more proven and could give me a little bit more short term value? I think that's a tough conversation, but I totally get the idea of in those, that range, you start bumping up guys
0: who maybe have a little bit more potential as opposed to the safety net. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So let's let's jump to another guy who, when I went through that list of the, the top ADP TGFBI pitchers, I didn't read names, but there were two names on that list who I think are worth us discussing because one of them, you left off your list completely. And one of them I left off my list completely and they're both very good pitchers. And so we probably need to answer for our, our doubting of them. I'll put, I'll, I'll I'll go first because I always make you go first. So I'll go first and say, I left Lucas Giolito off my list. Here's, here's my thing with Giolito. His last three years his ERA has been relatively steady. He went from 3.41 to 3.48 to 3.53. But last year, all of the peripherals looked a lot worse. 3.79 FIP after being below 3.5 two years in a row. His strikeout rate in 2019 and 2020 was 32.3 and then 33.7. It was down to 27.9% last year. The walks came down too but they didn't come down as much and so his strikeout minus walk rate is is down from over 24 over the la- over 2019 to 2020 to just over 20 at 20.7 20. for last year at the same time like his his barrel rate is not coming down so it's not like he's getting softer contact and in a year where like he he ended up setting a near career high for max exit velocity allowed his hard hit rate stayed up and I just I don't know. He's only 27. He's not he's not in his decline phase yet. I just look at him and I don't know that I see a pitcher who I believe is going to consistently perform inside that top 20. And, and that may not be fair, but I see some signs that he's. I don't know. I, I see some signs of risk, I guess is what I would how I would phrase it. And so and like when I look at projections, I mean, he doesn't necessarily project as one of – as like that high-ranked guy. I mean, looking at some of the guys below him, I don't know. I He just generally makes me nervous. I don't actually know that I have a really good sense of what drove those declines in strikeout rate, those declines in his peripherals um his, his swing strike rate was down but it's still up from where it was earlier in his career his chase rate was actually up so he's getting more chasing see, decent number of swing strikes but his k rate just was way down and i i have some anxiety about that he's also consistently put up low babbips ranging from 2 255 was his low in 2020 273 in 2019 was his highest at least over the last 4 years i just i don't know I see some possible correction coming there. If he doesn't get those strikeout back, those strikeouts back, and his BAPIP doesn't stay that low, you're gonna get much worse results out of him. And I, you know, I don't want to pay that high a price for a guy who I am worried is gonna perform like that. So that's that's where I am on Giolito. But like I said he has it's not like he gave up more hard contact it's not like his peripherals were bad last year they just weren't as good am i am i just am i too pessimistic
1: i think so i i th- especially with pitching like with hitting i'm 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 down to like all right this guy's performed great for 3 years but what's going to go wrong with a pitcher it's just i'm i'm going to take what i can get I think the high Babbitt, first of all, Gilito has given up a lot of fly balls. And so, or the low Babbitt, I should say. So, a lot of fly balls are going to result in a lot of home runs, but probably a low Babbitt. And that's exactly what we've gotten. So, I'm not looking to tear the cover off that a little bit more to to look at it. He's posted elite whips each of the last three seasons. The strikeouts have been really strong. Um, You know, he definitely is prone to that like one or two outings per half of the season that balloon his numbers. I don't know if you remember last year, but on Patriots Day, giolito pitched like less than an inning or something like that or one inning plus against it was too the early in the morning he doesn't like mornings
0: i guess so and he gave story? up like
1: it was like eight or nine earned runs and if you take that one start away which isn't fair to do but if you do all of a sudden we're talking about an era around like three and he's that same exact elite pitcher that we've gotten each of the last three seasons so giolito just seems bankable to me like am i expecting a sub three era no but if, if you're telling me he's on a good team, so he's got a chance to get in that, you know, 13, 14 plus wins with a really strong whip, which he's proven to do now for a while, possibly 200 strikeouts in about 170 innings. And he's done that basically three years in a row. If you prorate out 2020, I, I'm not going to stress about that for a guy who's just 27 years old and has the prospect pedigree that Giolito does. It just, it, it all just seems legit to me. So am I expecting like a giant step forward? No, but I believe what he's done the last three years.
0: Yeah, I think like looking at his, you know, ground ball rate is a is a good thing to call out because he is among pitchers with a hundred, there were 129 pitchers who threw at least 100 innings last year, only 10, nine actually had a lower ground ball rate than him. So he does, he puts the ball in the air quite a bit in Chicago on the South side in a park that is not very forgiving when the ball goes in the air. And yet he only had a 1.36 home run per nine, which is not good by any means. But if I look at the guys around him, like other guys with sort of a – he his ground ball rate was 33.2%. Other guys between, let's call it, you know, 32 and 34, their home run per fly ball rates were 1. – or it's not their home run for fly balls. Their home run per nine, 1.82, 1.43, 1.28 for Logan Gilbert's a little bit better, but then 1.84 for John Means. for Freddie Peralta, which I'll be honest, makes me a little nervous because his home run per fly ball rate was real low. Uh, 2.01 for Andrew Haney, 1.50 for Jamison Tyone. Giolito was at 1.36. Dylan Cease at 1.09. Madison Bumgarner at 1.48. Trevor Bauer at 1.59. Like there are a bunch of guys with, you know, 1.4, 1.5, 2.0 type home run per fly ball rate or home run per nine rates around that ground ball rate and i am i don't know maybe the, maybe this is me playing too much auto new maybe it's my auto new bias where home runs are really punished in auto new leagues and so i'm i'm just like the the floor for giolito feels real low to me and that that concerns me so i mean pitchers as we know don't
1: have a lot of control on if fly balls leave the park or not but what they can somewhat control is average exit velocity against hard hit percentage And Giolito's have consistently been really strong. So like you could almost take it as a good thing. Like, yeah, he's going to be prone to the occasional solo home run, which maybe punishes you in those formats where home runs are worth that much more. But in your standard five by five, if you know, okay, if he goes seven innings with two earned runs because he gave up two solo shots, but strikes out eight guys in seven innings and two earned runs like that's good to me. And so if I saw his whip creeping up or if I saw the walk rate creeping up and all of a sudden those solo homers, I'd be curious to see how many of Giolito's home runs against were solo home runs because he's so good at keeping guys off the base paths and like i can live with that that's fine um and the fact again three years in a row with that pedigree like i again not gonna take maybe a giant step forward and win a cy young which i guess he's capable of doing but do i think he's gonna take that step that far of a step back no and i don't think he has the floor that you think i think he's i think he's past that. i think he's he's just a good pitcher
0: now yeah i may be I'm willing to acknowledge that it might just be my auto new bias that like the, you know, uh, the start that you described is a bad start, in a new. And so it may be that I'm, I'm just a little um, gun shy about him in other leagues because I'm so focused on what he, what he, the risk he brings to the table in, in terms of home runs in an auto new league. So maybe I'm biased in that regard. The guy I wanted to question you about that I have on my list you don't have on yours is Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray, an interesting sort of uh, an interesting guy to talk about next to Giolito because he also has home run issues. He's had much bigger home run issues, but he just moved out of a pretty terrible power park and into a pretty good one.
1: Yeah, I. Look, I can't take away anything from Robbie Ray that he did last year, right? I mean, like he was simply outstanding. But like, how many guys who have a BABIP that's, you know, 40 points below what it's been in the past? And how many guys that have a left on base percentage of 90.1% can also put forward a really strong season? And I, that doesn't explain everything with Robbie Ray. He was good, right? The biggest thing was his control, his, his command is fixed right? Like he was hitting his spots. His walk rate was plummeted compared to where it's been the years prior. And that was the biggest step that he needed to take. With that said, you look at the you know XERA, FIP, XFIP, they're still much higher. Um, and given the volatility that this guy's had as a career, and now he's over 30 years old, like I'm happy for him, put forward the amazing season, get paid and now go to a park where perhaps you can almost continue it. I'm not ready to jump you know, 100% in and let this guy go from typically historically speaking guys who have the adp that robbie ray had last year the jump up to an adp that robbie ray has this year the hit rate on those players is not very high particularly for a player who's you know 30 years old in the starting pitcher so i'm just kind of playing cautious here
0: i'll be if robbie ray repeats and i don't have him on any teams i'll be okay with that yeah, I think that makes sense. It's it's not actually a super different argument from what I was making with with Giolito that like, yeah, he's been good, but there's some concerns there. I think what's what's interesting to me is like, you know, he has Giolito and Ray had similar um, FIPs and sort of ERA estimators sort of across the board. But Ray was, you know, his strikeout rate jumped like he had a near almost a career high I think in his strikeout percentage he was at 32.1 he did get up to 32.8 in 2017 but like you said it was that walk rate his career up until this season his walk rate for his career was 11.0% it was 6.7% last year and it had really blown up recently so he went through 4 years from 2014 through 2017 with a 9.5% walk rate and he was pretty good in those years. He had a 4.07 ERA, but a 3.77 FIP. Um, he also had a 27% strikeout rate that year. Then he managed, or that that over those years, then he managed to bring the strikeouts up a bit. But as he was bringing the strikeouts up a bit, he, he just, like I said, completely lost the zone and his walk rate. After starting his career at 8.1% in 2014, it went up to nine, 9.1, 10.7, 13.3, then came down a little bit to 11.2 before being 17.9% in 2020. So yeah, the volatility is, it is there, it is scary, but that's 6.7% last year. I, I just think it's a, if that sticks and I don't see any reason why it wouldn't, because I think he, he whether it was something with his mechanics, whether it was something with his approach, he he has made a fix that, I mean, you know his zone percentage in 2020 was 36.2%. It was forty-three point eight percent last year. Like he is pounding the zone in a way he ha- he he wasn't in those down years. I I'm I'm a believer. I think the thing that stood out for me with him, and maybe this is maybe this isn't the right way for me to think about this given I have him at 14th on my list, but I think the upside on him is if that control sticks and if his power numbers, his his home runs allowed get better because of the park change and the, and the division change, I think there's real upside there. Like he is a guy who I think could jump into the top five to 10, if he can bring those power, bring that power back in line. And we'll see if that happens. Like, he is going to be Homer prone. I think regardless of the park, regardless of the division, I just think it could get better. So the range of outcomes on Ray is definitely
1: extreme i mean i think that the counter view is like yeah he could continue those strides and keep it up but what happens when the Babib climbs 20 points and the the strand rate normalizes i think all of a sudden he's back closer to the three and a half that he was kind of projected for or expected for last year at era in which case i'd still take that it's still very good especially if it comes with all those other things but now we're talking about a guy who you know again has done it for one year it was a little bit injury prone before that and i get the giolito comparison in the sense that Based on what they did last year, you could look at it and say, "Well, I have some areas of concern." But let's compare their 2020 and 2019, and one's a Cy Young candidate; the other's got an ERA over six. So I, I have real concern with Robbie Ray based on where he's going. But I still, if I can get him, you know, a little bit later than where he's going to draft, then I'll take him because I still think he's he's going to be a good pitcher, just maybe not as definitely not as good as he was last year.
0: Makes sense. So another pitcher that you've got on your list that I don't that I think is a particularly interesting case. Uh, because he's always interesting, because who doesn't want an excuse to talk about Shohei Otani? So we're going to talk about Shohei Otani. I guess I'll just be blunt. I don't think he's a top 20 fantasy pitcher. And so I'm very curious if you think he like as a pitcher, if he if he announced tomorrow, I'm no longer hitting. Is he still in your top 20 for pitchers? Or do you have him there because of what he does overall? Yeah, he was really weird to rank. So I mean, I play on ESPN,
1: and he's both on there. And so I kind of I had to ignore that because we just wanted to look at pitchers right but it's tough to ignore that when in a lot of leagues that our listeners play he's both for a lot of leagues that our listeners play if they're weekly leagues they might never use him as a pitcher so it really was a weird i just i couldn't rationalize leaving him off because if he did become a full-time pitcher he's disgusting i mean filthy we, we saw it last year. He he improved from where he was before. Control is better. I mean, a 100-mile-an-hour splitter, like he has all the tools a pitcher needs. It's just how often he's going to go out there. So if he, if he really is, not for another season, not going to give us any two-start weeks, if they're going to skip him in the rotation every now and then, if they're going to go with a six-man rotation, all those different things, then, yeah, he's really hard to rank in this range. It's just balancing a player who has all these different qualities that we've literally never seen before and trying to figure out where that fits in, in a keeper ranking.
0: Yeah. I I set aside his offense. I think it's, you have to for this, right? It is hard to rank. Yeah. And I think if I'm, if I'm ranking all players for keeper leagues, like, Look, on Pitcher List a few weeks ago, there was an article that went up with a, a handful of us who were involved in writing it, and we each made a case for a player who we think should go one dot one, who should be the first overall pick, and I made the case for Otani as the first overall pick. Now, I made the case assuming, A, you were getting a single Otani who could both hit and pitch, and B, that you were in a daily lineups league. Because if you're not in a daily lineups league, and I think you made this point, Pete, like, In TGFBI, where pitchers are weekly and hitters are biweekly, I don't think Otani is, like, his pitching effectively has no value because I'm never going to use him as a pitcher. Maybe if he gets a two-start week, right? Maybe if he, if he, if they, even with a six-man rotation, if they have a weird week where he starts Sunday and then the next Saturday, maybe I would consider his pitching over his hitting, but it effectively has no value.
1: And even then, I don't think it's going to happen because they don't announce when he's starting until like a day
0: or two before. I know. Yeah, you'd just be gambling. Yeah, it's guessing, right? So, I, I in a daily league where you can slot him as a starter when he's a starter and put him in your util all the other times. He is incredibly valuable. I I do think keeper league, not keeper league, like he may be the number one overall player. But when I'm looking at just his pitching, he gave us 130 innings last year. I think that's close to a ceiling for him. He hasn't consistently stayed healthy. He he does other things for that team where they they wisely aren't going to push him and risk injuring him by making him overextend himself on the mound. And his numbers, like as much as we talk about how filthy he is, and he 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 is filthy. His strikeout rate's under thirty percent, which is not bad, but it's not elite. His you know his his ERA estimators are sort of more mid threes than the low threes he had last year, and I think if you look at a guy who's going to put up let's say a three point five three point six ERA, ten ish strikeouts per nine, but probably not go over maybe let's call it one hundred and forty innings. He's projected for more than that, but I just I don't know. I, I don't I don't see him going over about one hundred and forty innings. To me, that's not a top twenty pitcher, and and I think one of the challenges with him is like. Someone out there is going to be like, "Yeah, you put Degrom number one, and do you really think he's going to go over 140 innings?" It's like, I don't know. Degrom may miss time; he may only throw 140, 150 innings, but that's not his ceiling. If Degrom is healthy, he could throw 180 to 200 innings. I don't think that ceiling exists for Otani. I think we're starting at a baseline of 140. Maybe I'm gonna, I'm getting more generous as we go. Let's call it 150 as a starting point. But there's there is a risk he gets seriously hurt and misses time, just like there's a risk any pitcher gets seriously hurt and misses time. And then all of a sudden he throws, you know, 30 innings. So I don't know. I'm if I'm in a league where like if I'm in a Yahoo league where there's an Otani the hitter and Otani the pitcher, I am not taking Otani the pitcher inside the top twenty pitchers.
1: Yeah, I could totally get that. I mean, I I guess the the counter argument is even though he was only at 140 innings, he was kind of still fresh off Tommy John, right? So especially for a team that really needs the pitching too, I I could see them kind of leaning on him. And if that means taking his bat out of the lineup every now and then, because they've been rumored for Michael Conforto, they've, who else have they been connected to a couple of other names? I'm not saying they want to do that, right? Why would you ever want to take Shohei Otani's bat out of the lineup? Well, you will if you need to lean on a starting pitcher. And if he does somehow cross that 170, 180 pitch threshold, inning pitch threshold, which maybe he won't, maybe he won't. It's not likely. I'm not going to go to Vegas and put money on it. But if he does, then I, I do think he's a top 20 starter. So maybe I'm talking myself and actually taking him out of the top 20, right? Because I don't expect him to reach those thresholds. But I guess this ranking was more based on the talent that we see. And he is nasty. So were he to... If we were to look at all of these guys and say every single pitcher in this top 20 is going to pitch 180 innings, then I like where I have Shoei Otani. But to your point, the reality is he's not going to meet that
0: threshold. So expecting that from him is probably a little bit unrealistic. Yeah, we've gone through our top 20. We talked about some interesting names in here. Looking at some of our honorable mentions, you've mentioned Musgrove. We've talked about Boz and Giolito, Montas and Gaussman and Snell. We've talked about sort of briefly. One name, though, you've gotten your honorable mentions, I think, is interesting is Tyler Glass now. Talk a little bit about why he, you know, he's obviously not giving you much this year, but you're, you're still saying he's sort of, I guess, borderline top 20 for you long term. Yeah. I mean,
1: he was arguably SP one until he got hurt last year. Right. I don't know where he was on ESPN or Rasballs player Raider at that point in time, but I mean, he, he was absolutely unbelievable. Watching him pitch was incredible. he, He had everything clicking obviously Tommy John's concerning you're you're not going to get anything this year and then you're probably going to an innings cap next year which is why I didn't have him in my top 20 but if we're just talking long-term value and especially in a keeper league so this is to your point earlier about the value of where you could get him if you're drafting right now in a keeper league and you can get Tyler Glass now in like 25th, 26th, 27th round and then keep him next year for a 23rd and keep him the next year for a 21st all of a sudden he he potentially becomes the best value on this list pitches in a great park Throws absolute gas, three different pitches. I mean, I'm still all in on Tyler Glass now, the talent. It's just a matter of getting him back out on the field. And this is going to sound silly, but there's some comfort in the guys who have the elbow injury and being like, okay, well, now they've had Tommy John, right? Like, it's not like this scary apparition that you can see hovering over certain pitchers like we're dealing with Jacob DeGrom right now. It's like okay, he had the surgery. We know when we had it. and We can start to plan out a timeline, and that's part of what long-term leagues are—is planning out. So the value on glass now, I still think is is really high. I was disappointed that I didn't get him in our our Otney league. He only went for like four dollars, I
0: just or something like that. I
1: couldn't bring myself to do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. He does fit that. When I was talking about the guys, I like to keep are the guys who are real cheap, but I believe are going to be valuable. He's a great example of that, where at $4 are not a new league and a late pick in a in a keeper you know, draft league, you can pencil him in as one of your, you know, maybe you can't pencil him in as your ace next year, but you can pencil him in as a top four guy, top five guy. And at that price, I'm with you. He probably should have been on my honorable mention list. I'm not taking him inside the top 20 because I value the current season just too highly, but he's definitely a guy worth looking at. We talked a little bit about late ADP guys and, and prospects Anyone else from that list you think we should talk in more detail about or anyone else you want to you want to discuss? Uh, well, I just I love the names that you put in
1: your mid tier as your late ADP guys, uh, that whole range. And I guess it kind of begins with Hulk, but he he's being pushed up. He's top 200 now. But that like Josiah Gray, Tony Gonsolin, um, Waskari Noah, Drew Rasmussen and Aaron Ashby you have there. And, and there's a few other names on that list. Are in that range that I really like. And I guess it goes back to your point earlier about finding those late round values. Um, Tristan McKenzie is another one that I'd want to tack on there, who I really like late. There's there's more starting pitching, it feels like, than there has been the last two years. And it's just a range that I'm interested in. So I guess it's more strategy and planning than it is specific names, but I, I like that range.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at my, my TGFBI draft board for my league and looking starting in the... We'll call it the the thirteenth round because I think it's sort of a reasonable place to start, and you get this run of starting pitchers. And so, you know, it's a fifteen team league. the so thirteenth round is a little later than it feels in a in a twelve teamer. But you have this run of starting pitching with Jordan Montgomery, Clayton Kershaw, Lance McCullers, Hyun Ryu, Mike Clevenger, Tanner Houck, Jose Arquidi, Ranger Suarez, Patrick Sandoval, Alex Wood, Anthony DiScalvini. Waskar, you know, Alex Cobb, Aaron Ashby, John Means, Joe Ryan, Tristan McKenzie, Adam Wainwright. That takes us from the 13th to the 16th round. Every, oh, I shouldn't say every, almost every one of those guys is a guy who could establish a new sort of norm, a new level of expectations this year and be a keeper as a result, right? And, and for different reasons, like McCullers and Kershaw, if they're healthy, would be going much earlier. And so those are guys who like may just reestablish themselves as healthy. A guy like Patrick Sandoval, Tanner Houck, Mike Clevenger, if he comes back the way that we we hope he will, even guys like Alex Wood and Anthony Disclefini, like they're they're older. They're not going to like break out per se, but those are all the types of guys who I think you can get in the mid rounds who are are interesting, are are possible upside guys. And so we're not even talking like this is even before getting into a guy like like Bailey Ober or Casey Mize or Josiah Gray, who are all guys who like we're hoping something clicks, right? They all have the talent, but who knows what they're going to do. Like all of these guys have pitched well and it's about reestablishing or, or, or further establishing their value. I'm super intrigued in that sort of bucket. And that goes back to why, like I took Shane Boz in the ninth round and then took four more starters between the 11th and the 16th, because there were a bunch of guys in that range who I think could be, have the talent to pitch like top, you know, first five round pitchers going at much lower prices. You can't bank on it. You can't count on it. They could be a lot worse than that, which is why they're going at this point. But for a keeper league perspective, they are all super interesting. So that, that is, that is clearly the spot in drafts I want to live. And I, it's, yeah. Like I said, I I took none until the first, till the through the first five rounds. Then I took one, two, three, four, five, six starting pitchers in the next 10 rounds. And now I've gone three rounds without taking one again. It's that middle of the draft where I think that the, the meat lives there. There's some really interesting arms there. They all have upside potential. And in keeper leagues, that upside potential is that's where it's at. And
1: it feels like last year we kind of jumped the gun with Severino and Syndergaard. And although, I'm not holding out hope much with Syndergaard. I am with Severino, even though I actually drafted Syndergaard and TGFBI because he just kept falling. Last year, I think people were disappointed because they were like, I'm going to get these guys in the second half. And Chris Sale was in that group as well. And they really didn't give much to close out the season. And now I feel like that's kind of, they're, they're going in the same spots this year as they were last year, it feels like, which obviously isn't right because they're healthier and they're more ready to go. So I do think there's some late round bargains and we can add in Clevenger and eventually glass now into that group where it's, I guess, a little bit of forgotten about due to injury. There's obviously risk. It's, it's Tommy John surgery, but I don't know about you, Chad. I, I kind of expect Luis Severino to be pretty good this year. And if he can get back to those levels pre-2019, then he's going to
0: kind of be a steal. Yeah, I mentioned every other pitcher I took, but the other pitcher, the sixth starter that I took in, I didn't take him as my sixth starter, but the of the starters I took, the one I haven't mentioned yet is Severino. I took Severino in the 11th round of my TGFBI. So I took him as my SP3, basically. I took Flaherty in the sixth, Boz in the ninth, Severino in the 11th, and then piled Clevenger, Wood, and Ashby in the 14th, 15th, 16th. Uh, you know I wanted one of Severino or Clevenger the reason I took both is because Clevenger kept falling and in the 14th I felt like I needed to but yeah I'm with you I think I mean looking at some of the other pitchers who went around there like I took Severino in the 11th Kopech went three picks later Trevor Bauer went a few picks after that which is a whole other story Sonny Gray Tarek Skubal Marcus Stroman like I like Severino a lot more than those guys and if you go earlier like Fran Valdez went earlier that same round. Ian Anderson, Eduardo Rodriguez, Logan Gilbert. like Those guys are all, except for Gilbert maybe, those guys are all safer. And I think there's a good chance I would have taken one of them had they been there because I would have liked to have that sort of reliability in a 15-teamer. But I don't know. If you told me Severino was the best of those pitchers this year, would it be that surprising? I don't think so. That rotation that you rattled off, that has a really high ceiling. It does.
1: It It has a real low floor. It has a real low floor, but it has a real high ceiling. If you had waited to take really any of your starting pitchers in that range, then I'd be concerned. But you got two guys at the top that I think can
0: provide some stability. I I like that potential range of outcomes for that rotation. I do too. We'll see how it plays out though. Anyways, I think we have, uh, I think we've covered everything we need to cover. Thank you all for listening. As a reminder, you can follow the show on Twitter at KeepOrCut. Please leave us ratings and reviews. Subscribe. Uh, Really appreciate all of that. You can follow Pete at Pete the baseball. You can find me at Chad young and and one last pitch. uh, If you're listening to this on Monday, the Twitter feed at baseball pods does a pod bracket every year. And they are starting that bracket uh, today on Monday. First of all, it is worth following at Baseball Pods, this guy, Chris, who covers this, listens to a ton of baseball podcasts and, and puts out a lot of good content about those and helps. He's one of, He's a great source for finding good content. The bracket is a great source for finding good content because he's got, I think, 64 podcasts lined up in this pot, in this bracket, and most of them are probably excellent. I don't know all of them. I can't speak for all of them, but they, the ones I know are all good. So it's a, it's a really great place to go find content. And you should vote for us when our vote comes up. If you're listening, go find us in that that bracket. Vote for us. Keep us pushing forward. We really appreciate that. Uh, with that, thank you for listening. We will talk to you again next week.